man, Timothy, uh, uh, a man who most likely was brought to faith in Christ or was, at least Paul was instrumental in the process of him coming to faith. Obviously, the Holy Spirit brought him to faith in Christ. But um, Timothy is a, call it what you will, a protege, an understudy. He is someone who is absolutely enthralled with Jesus because of Paul's ministry in his life. Paul was a tool the Holy Spirit used for Timothy to grow in Christ and to mature in Christ. And for the longest time, Timothy was with Paul, but now he's separated from Paul. And Paul's writing these letters to Timothy because he's going through some pretty significant difficulties in the church. And so Paul's writing to Timothy to try to exhort him and to encourage him to continue on in the faith and to be careful and cautious because there's all sorts of pitfalls and dangers for Timothy. The, letter to the, the two letters to Timothy are very much appropriate and valuable for all of us in today's church. Not that it was unique to Paul's day, nor is it unique to our day of struggles in the church. It's been unique in every day. But uh, as I look at, at Paul's letters to Timothy, I find um, the teaching that Paul gives Timothy dramatically applicable and valuable uh, to our, our lives in our churches today and in our world. So I would like to start in verse 1. We looked at verses 1 through 7 last week, but I'd like to start reading starting in verse 1, and we're actually going to read the entirety of chapter 1 this morning. And Lord willing, our goal is to get through uh, 8 through 18 uh, this morning. So starting in verse 1, if you'll follow along as I read, Paul writes this in his second letter to Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers <coughs> night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I might be filled, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Verse 8, therefore, we're in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, therefore, this is the passage we'll be looking at this morning, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering of the, for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our, Lord, of our Savior, Jesus, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words 
that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anesiphorus. For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. So 8, we're going to look at verses 8 through 18 this morning. We're going to reference 7 as well. Paul's writing to Timothy, a man who needs to be encouraged. A man who needs to be exhorted. A man who is struggling. A man who is facing all sorts of difficulties. Does that sound somewhat familiar? Do you need to be encouraged a little bit sometimes? Face difficulties? Struggles? Within the church and outside the church? Opposition? Problems? As Paul addresses these problems, it's interesting for Timothy, as Paul addresses these problems, his answer to the problem is, on some level, kind of shocking. Because his approach is not what we would expect. What he does in facing the difficulties and the struggles and the problems that Timothy's facing is he says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Now we'll stop at the end of verse 8 right now. Paul's answer to Timothy's struggles and the strife and the difficulties that are happening in the church, as well as opposition from the world, is what? Timothy, your only answer, your only hope, is don't be ashamed of the gospel. It's kind of intriguing. Now, What's really intriguing is this to me, is if you would walk around the average church and ask the people of the average church, average conservative church, are you ashamed of the gospel? Almost everyone in the church would say what? No, of course not. If I was to interview everybody in here individually, if I had a microphone and go person to person and say, are you ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Most people would say, no, almost every one of us universally would say, no, I love the gospel of Jesus Christ because I love Jesus Christ, right? Does that make sense? I'm not ashamed. I love the gospel. I'm saved. The gospel has been applied to my life. I am saved. I'm not ashamed. And I'm not ashamed of Jesus. I love Jesus. How could I possibly be ashamed of Jesus? That's why we need to go back to verse 7. If we're going to understand Paul's statement in verse 8 correctly, we need to hear verse 7 again. In verse 7, he says what? For God gave us a spirit, what? Not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So now with 7 and 8 brought together, and we're going to talk about 6 briefly as well, but with 7 and 8 brought together, it helps us 
to think through things a little more clearly. Am I someone who's ashamed or am I not? Why is it so important? Because Paul told Timothy, a mature Christian, right? Someone who has faith that's clearly evident, he, he says to Timothy, he commands Timothy as it were, he warns Timothy, don't be ashamed, which implies what? There's a tendency to be ashamed, right? Even for a mature one, there's a tendency to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ, the gospel of our Lord. So, if I asked you, are you ashamed, you'd probably say no. Are you ashamed of the gospel? No. Are you ashamed of the Lord? No. Well, let's test that theory. Going back to verse 7, do you fear? That's the point. Do you fear? Fear what? The application of the gospel into someone else's life and circumstance. Do you fear the proclamation of the gospel? Because God didn't give us a spirit of fear. I mean, this, that statement is directly interwoven into this discussion of the gospel and being ashamed of the gospel. So what he's really trying to say is being ashamed of the gospel looks like fearing the proclamation and presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Or to put it a different way, do we find in our lives power with regard to the gospel of Jesus Christ? And what he's referencing here is the proclamation. Do we find ourselves powerfully proclaiming and applying the gospel into each other's lives in our own life? Do we find ourselves loving one another? And we must not divorce that from gospel because that's the context. See, if we divorce verse 7 from verse 8, then we can say, yeah, I, I love Ken. Or you guys can all say, yeah, we, we, y'all love Steve and Ruth and Mom and, and Sarah Ann because you all came over, a lot of you came over and helped us move, right? So you, you love Steve and Ruth and Sarah Ann because you helped them move. And by the way, we, again, we really appreciate all that help. That was awesome. I'm in no way de denigrating that, okay? But it's easy to say that, right? Isn't it easy to say, yeah, that's a demonstration of love, right? You know, we've all seen, if I may, and I'm not being derogatory about the Amish, but we've all seen the pictures of all the Amish coming together to help someone build a barn, right? We say, wow, they love one another, right? Does that make sense? That makes sense in our worldview oftentimes, right? That's not Paul's worldview in this text. When he says in verse 7, for God did not, er, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love, He's talking about love with regard to the gospel. Now, all those other things are great, right? They can be an expression of love, can't they? But can I just say this real quickly? Could they also not be a, 
an expression of the law? Shouldn't they? You know, like, it's kind of expected. I'm not saying anybody thought this. It's kind of expected that I go over and help Steve and Ruth and Sarah and Ruth. Could that not happen? Kind of like, yeah, i got to do that. What? Politically correct, maybe even. Or churchianity correct, right? Could be. Why don't you take that in? Kidding. Go. <laughs> don't be shy, Andrew. <laughs> don't let your Bible get wrecked. It's okay. It's been anointed. <laughs> Holy water. <laughs> it would be easy to be driven by law in that, isn't it? Right? Couldn't it be? Absolutely it could be driven by law. Could it not just be driven by some sort of societal thing? Of course it could. It could be driven by any number of things, but not this type of love. Because Paul is making a, a statement that that this type of love he's talking about, this love he's talking about is gospel love. It's about proclaiming the gospel both to unbelievers and to believers depending on the setting. Because one of the themes of Paul's ministry is what? We were talking about in the Sunday School Hour, this idea of, in, in Romans chapter 1, verse 15, 14 and 15, is this idea that the Greeks and barbarians referencing unbelievers need the gospel, verse 14, but verse 15, he's also eager to do what? To preach it to you who are in Rome, talking about the Roman believers. So he's eager to give it to them as well, to preach the gospel to them as well, because they need the gospel as well. So when he says here, he didn't give us a spirit, the, 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 uh, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love, the question is, do I love people gospel-wise? Do I love people from a gospel-oriented perspective? That is, do I love people enough to say, Charles, you need the gospel. And so let's hang out in the gospel, because that's what he says in Romans 1 about being mutually encouraged by the gospel. Let's hang out in the gospel. Let's talk about the gospel together. Or Tom Houghton, I love you, so let's talk about the gospel together. That's what he's talking about. Now, we may not say it in those words, right? But it's like, because I love the gospel, I find the gospel just perking out of my life towards unsaved people and to save people. Why? Because I love God, and as a result of loving God, and I love God because he first loved me, right? And as a result of that, I find myself loving people, and that's evidenced by gospel-saturated communication. That's what he's saying. So he says in verse 7, he gave us, not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. That is, I'm going to war bringing the gospel where? Here. I'm speaking the gospel into my own life. And the gospel is 
causing me to even be self-controlled so that gospel isn't hindered. So then we come to verse 8, and he says, for I'm not ashamed, right? I'm sorry, the command, I quoted Romans, but verse 8, therefore, Timothy, do not be ashamed. Why? Because you've not been given a spirit that leads you to be ashamed, so don't be ashamed. But what is he really drawing here is he's drawing this incredible contrast. I'm either ashamed or I am full of power, love, and self-control gospel-wise. So now we've got to go back and review. Just on verse 8, we've got to review here. Just one second, 7 and 8. Do you find yourself ashamed of the gospel? Because that's the real issue here. Because Paul's warning Timothy, it's really easy to have it happen. And the way we evaluate if we're ashamed of the gospel is by having the contrast, right? Love, power, self-control, gospel-oriented love. Or, I'm sorry, gospel-oriented power, gospel-oriented love, gospel-oriented self-control. Is that there? No fear? Or am I ashamed? You see, because verse 7 sums up, we are either people who are fearful or we're full of power, love, and self-control. Make sense? It's either fear or it's power, love, self-control. And what Paul is really saying is, if it's fear, you're ashamed of the gospel. And you're ashamed of the God of the gospel, the Christ of the gospel. And that's why Paul warns Timothy and all of us who come after to ask ourselves this really important question, am I ashamed of the gospel? Am I ashamed of the gospel? Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as a prisoner, because, and by the way, let me clarify, when he says the testimony of our Lord, the testimony of our Lord is the summation of, of the gospel, isn't it? That makes sense? That's why I keep saying gospel. The testimony of our Lord is a testimony about salvation, redemption, sin atoned for, righteousness given, and alien righteousness. That's the testimony of our Lord. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. That's an interesting one. Timothy, don't be ashamed with regard to a Christian, in this case Paul, who really is enthralled with the gospel, who doesn't have fear as the modus operandi of his life. Don't be ashamed of the one, of the person, who just is so absolutely enthralled with Jesus Christ that he just drips what power love self-control and the gospel just is permeating his life you know it sounds kind of foreign kind of strange isn't it but i don't know about you i've never lived in your skin but i know myself i've known a few people that really are enthralled with jesus and enthralled with the gospel and i remember specific times in my life when I was very uncomfortable being around them. And I always made excuses for why I was uncomfortable being around them. 
but there was no excuse. The reason why I was uncomfortable being around them, especially when I was around my friends who weren't enthralled, maybe not saved, or maybe they were saved but not enthralled with Jesus, maybe they claimed to be saved but not enthralled about Jesus. I made excuses, but you know the real excuse was I was ashamed. That's what I was. See, it's natural if I'm ashamed of the gospel, eventually I'm going to be ashamed of the ones who are enthralled with the gospel. It's one of the things I find intriguing. I'm going to get a little personal here, and it may be really uncomfortable for some of you, okay? But I just want to ask you a question. Actually, I'm to ask you several questions. This is the first one's easy. Can I just ask you, is the gospel proclaimed in our church? If, if you don't think it is, please don't be afraid of offending me because you don't have the spirit of fear. Is the gospel proclaimed in our church? I saw one or two heads shake yes. Most people are doing nothing. So I'm going to assume that there's a couple outspoken ones that are saying yes. If you disagree, please talk to me. Okay, that'd be good. So let me ask you a question. Question number two. Have you ever invited people to church? Why not? If you haven't, why not? Have you ever invited your coworkers to church? If you haven't, why not? Why not? Have you invited your neighbors to church? And this is not, I'm setting this all up for a invite our neighbors to church Sunday. Eh, we're not doing that kind of stuff. This is much more important than that. Have you invited your neighbors to church? Why not? Have you ever invited your friends to church? Why not? If it's not, have you ever invited your friends, neighbors, loved ones, coworkers, whatever? If the gospel's here to tune into the messages and listen to them online, not for sales pitch or anything like that. That's not th th please don't miss my point. This is not so we can grow a bigger church. This is something much more important than that. Because Paul's trying to drive home this idea, are you ashamed of the gospel? One of the ways we're ashamed of the gospel is are we ashamed of those who are proclaiming the gospel? Or maybe the location where the gospel is being proclaimed. Just, I'm just asking some questions. And I want us to think and wrestle with. Because it's really essential, because Paul's really driving this home in a church that's struggling. He says, one of the things you need to do, Timothy, more than anything else, you need to ask yourself, am I ashamed of the gospel? There's always going to be problems in the church. The church is always going to be a mess. But you, Timothy, are you ashamed of the gospel? Are you? Let's look at all the different ways in which we can examine ourselves to see if maybe we're self-deceived and we really are ashamed of the gospel. Do I talk to people about the gospel, saved and unsaved? As Paul says, I'm under obligation and I'm eager. Am I under obligation? Am I eager? Because if I'm not, I'm ashamed. Am I ashamed of people who are really enthralled with the, with, with the gospel? Am I ashamed of, of the presentation of the gospel? 
the warning here in the midst of difficulty to Timothy, do not be ashamed of the gospel, the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as his prisoner. Instead, he goes on and says what? Timothy, instead, share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. What did he just say? It's really kind of simple. He told Timothy, instead, Timothy, don't be ashamed because that's not the spirit you've been given. You're living contrary to who you are. Instead, do what? Share in the suffering. Well, how's that happen? By not being ashamed. You see, Paul's in prison because he's enthralled with the gospel, because he's not ashamed. He's been in prison repeatedly for the gospel. And when he's not in prison, he's suffering for the gospel, right? And so he says to Timothy, don't be ashamed. Be careful because it's easy to become ashamed. Don't be ashamed, but instead share in the very thing that's going to bring you suffering. Right? That's what he said. The answer to being ashamed, Paul says here, is to share in it. Now, the answer behind the answer is going to be something even different than that. Because ultimately, he's going to argue, as he argues everywhere, it's the reason why we're ashamed of the gospel is because we don't fellowship in the gospel. The reason why we're ashamed of the gospel is because we don't Remember the God of the gospel and fellowship with him and enjoy him and continue to drink at the well. That's why. But here he says, but share the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And then what does he do next? He goes on and reminds Timothy of what has happened. Because that's what I'm trying to get to. It's not just get out and do it, but it's remember which we've say, seen and talked about over and over again, right? That's what he does now. What does he say? Verse 9, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. We could stop there for a second. He reminds Timothy, remember, in effect, in a few, in a few short words, when he says, who saved us. He said, in effect, says, remember who you were. Because if you're going to remember that he saved you, you've got to remember what he saved you from, right? Remember who you were. And all around, and, and that doesn't mean I conjure up what I could have been. It means, what does God say I was? Ephesians 2, for example. And what does that mean? And, and many other passages, Romans 1 through 3, for example, reminding ourselves who we were and how condemned we were and how lost we were and how, how much haters we were of God. Remember. And then remember who, that he saved us by his power. Right? Remember, he saved us. 
So what does that mean? They saved us. What does that mean? So what are the ramifications? That's what Paul's trying to get across here. And he called us to a holy calling. He didn't just save you. You've heard me say it before. He didn't just save you to what? To go to heaven. He saved you and called you to something. He saved you for a purpose. And in context, that purpose is always going to be a, ready? Gospel purpose. Now, I hear people say, uh, say uh, quite regularly, well, you know, my gifts are this, my gifts are that. I have these spiritual gifts, or I have that spiritual gift, or I have this other spiritual gift. And I look at them and I say, wait a second, stop. He called you to an amazing calling, and it's not merely hospitality. It's not merely giving. It's not merely preaching and teaching or whatever the other gifts are. In every one of those, his calling is a gospel calling. If you think you've got the gift of hospitality, it better be about the gospel. Because that's the calling. For Paul, is apostle and teacher and preacher. But it's about the gospel. It's about the gospel. He saved you, remember who you were, remember what he's done, to a calling, and it's a holy calling. In other words, it's a set-apart calling. It is a God-honoring, radically different calling than any other calling you could have because it is a gospel calling. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Because in being ashamed of the gospel, you're being ashamed of your salvation. You're being ashamed of your calling. Because it's a holy calling. It's a gospel calling. To be ashamed of the gospel is to be ashamed of your calling. Because it's a gospel calling. In other words, it's a calling regarding the gospel. Outwardly to unsaved people and inwardly to those in the church. Those who are saved. It's a gospel calling. He called us to a ho holy calling, not because of our works, because, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. That phrase, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, is connected back to the holy calling. In other words, your holy calling was something that was part of God's plan and his will for you from before the ages. It was before you were saved. Before you were redeemed, he had a calling on you. Now the ramifications of that are dramatic, but I don't have time to wade our way through that. But he's got a calling on you. It was established before the foundation of the world. And it's not because you're so good or so skilled. But it's because of his purpose and his grace. Now, let me just stop on those two words, purpose and grace, real quickly. It's because of his purpose, which begs the question, what is his purpose? Right? He has saved you for his purpose, 
And by His grace, He has called you to a holy calling for His purpose by His grace. So what's His purpose? If we don't answer that question, then it's kind of all nebulous and we get to do whatever we want to with it, right? Well, His purpose is really clear in the Scriptures. His purpose is summed up in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He saved you and called you to a high calling. He saved me and called me to a high calling, and it's all about his kingdom. He saved you for his kingdom's sake, so that his kingdom would come, his will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. That's why you exist. That's why you were transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. His purpose is his kingdom. The advancement, the spread of his kingdom. That's why you were saved. You weren't saved so you can come to church on Sundays and hear a message and sing some songs. You weren't saved so you go to heaven at the end. You're saved for his kingdom for his glory, for the spread of his fame. That's why you're saved. That's why you're called. And that is your holy calling. How that is skinned out for you and for me is going to be different, right? In every way it's going to be different, but it's got to be gospel-oriented. Otherwise it's not a holy calling. Hospitality without gospel isn't a holy calling. Calling. Being a pastor without the gospel is not a holy calling. In fact, it's an inherently unholy calling because it is all about whether it's hospitality or preaching, pastoring. It's all about, if it's not gospel oriented, it's all about you can save yourself. And you can be your own savior. And as a result, you're ashamed of the gospel. That's what you are. It bothers me when I hear of Christians going through difficulties and they come to me and they talk to me and say, Steve, I'm really struggling with blank. And I ask them questions like, well, what have you done so far? They say, well, I talked to so-and-so. What did they tell you? And they start to tell me what they told me. And the other person, I say, is he a believer? Oh, yeah, he's a believer. And he was really trying to help me. What was he talking about? And he tells me what he's talking about. And there's no gospel. There's no Jesus in it. Why don't they just say to you, go to hell? Because there's no gospel. And the reason why there's no gospel is because they're ashamed. And they think there's salvation outside of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This holy calling is a kingdom calling. This holy calling is a, a rescue calling, calling, Paul tells Timothy. That's what it is. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose. And his grace toward you. That's why you've been saved. Which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And verse 10, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Lord, of our Savior Jesus Christ, who 
abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. This is what he did. Verse 10. All this stuff was manifested in Christ when he came to this earth. All of it is summed up in him. What did he do? He abolished death. Because you and I certainly deserve to die. See, Paul's trying to remind Timothy of this. Because what takes away the being ashamed of the gospel is remembering that we're saved. Remembering that he abolished death. I was dead and he abolished that. What does it mean he abolished death? He made me alive. He rescued me from the the grip of an evil one, of the evil one that I could not break. I was dead in Satan and he rescued me to life in him. He did what only he could do. He peeled Satan's fingers away and ripped me out of that grip and set me free. He abolished death. Oh, death, where is your sting? Which, by the way, we corrupt by always preaching only at funerals. Because although it applies there, it applies to today as well. Not only did he abolish death, but he brought life and immortality to light. He exposed what was already there, right? Because it was declared before the foundation of the world. But he did what only he could do in that he exposed it to the light. He exposed it to us. He showed us that there is hope where all there was was hopelessness. There is life where all there was before was death. There was Christ where before all there was was He exposed it. And because of the Holy Spirit's work in your life, by God's grace, the light shines in you. And you were saved. This is what Paul's trying to tell Timothy to remember. Because when we remember it, dwell in this, kind of reminds us of it, we will not be ashamed. And we will not have a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Verse 11, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher. He's talking about his calling, which is why, verse 12, which is why I suffer as I do. Not just that he was appointed to this, but all the rest of it as well. The reality of his saving, of his being saved. The reality of what he was before he was saved. The reality of his calling, his high calling. The reality of, of the... Um, uh, God's purpose, the reality of understanding of his purpose and his grace. The reality that he abolished death and brought life and immortality and light to the through the gospel. That's why he suffers as he does. And of course, when we look at the greater sweep of scripture, we know that all those who are in Christ Jesus will what? What's the next word? Suffer. So it begs the question now when we get back to it again, Verse 8, 
the warning, the caution, and the command, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Paul says, I'm not ashamed, therefore I suffer. The question is, as we evaluate if we are ashamed or not, do you suffer? For the gospel's sake. Now, there's all sorts of reasons why we could suffer, but do we suffer for the gospel's sake? Mock, being mocked, ridiculed, rejected, denied, hated? Do you? Is that an M.O.? If not, then maybe we are ashamed. Maybe we are. He goes on, verse 12, which is why I suffer as I do. But, verse 12, I am not ashamed. Why? And he goes back to, again, what he's remembering, right? What he's dwelling upon. I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. I know him, and it's an intimacy. I intimately know him. I fellowship with him. I revel in him. I remember him. I study him. I learn of him. I taste and see that he is good. I drink at the well, and I keep drinking. Right? I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he's able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. I have confidence in him that he will guard what's been entrusted to me. The gospel, personally, my salvation, and the gospel where I've been given, the calling, right? I know, I'm convinced that he's able to guard until that day what's been entrusted to me. Now hold the thought about it being entrusted to me till later on. Verse 13, he tells Timothy, in light of that, Follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. What does he tell Timothy? I just talked to you about what you need to remember. I've just talked to you about the beauty of your salvation. I've just given you a brief snapshot, a, a, a brief synopsis of the beauty of what God has done in your life. Timothy, don't be ashamed of the gospel, but instead remember this and dwell on it and be reminded of it all the time. It will transform you, and you will find that the reality is you've not been given a spirit of fear, but of, of power and love and self-control. Timothy, cling to these things. And by the way, that's going to be a theme throughout the rest of this book. Cling to them. Never cease remembering these things because the result will be you will not be ashamed, which is why he says in verse 13, follow this, Timothy. Follow the pattern of sound words you've heard. Follow the truth. Cling to. Walk in the dust of it all. Be saturated with the truth. You will be renewed and transformed. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And by the way, that last phrase is really important. And the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. What he's saying is, view them all in light of Christ. View them all in light of who Christ is. View them all, all the sound words. View them all in the light of the truth of what Christ is about. View them all in light of the truth of what Christ is after. And you'll not be ashamed. 
verse 14, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So he shifts from verse 12, I'm convinced that he's able to guard until that day <coughs> what has been entrusted to me. I am confident that he'll be able to, he will guard it. Verse 14, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, Timothy, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So on the one hand, verse 12, he says, I'm confident that he'll guard it, right? On the other hand, he says, Timothy, guard it by the power of the Holy Spirit. So in other words, the Holy Spirit, if he has truly saved you, he will guard what has been entrusted to you to the day of salvation. He who began the good work in you will continue to perfect it to the day of Jesus Christ, right? But he also says two verses later, Timothy, guard it. Guard the deposit he's given you. That is, guard the truth. Guard the, the salvation you have received. Be after it. You get the picture, don't you? He says, guard it. Sounds like there's a war going on, doesn't it? In other words, there's something coming after you, Timothy, that's trying to rip away from you what you have been given. Now, ultimately, there'll be failures, right? Ultimately, they will fail. They will not succeed. Why? Because I'm confident that he will guard the deposit given to me until that day. But Timothy, be after it. There is a war going on. Guard. Protect what has been given to you. Guard it. And the implication very strongly here is with every fiber of your being, with your life, with every aspect of your life, guard what has been entrusted to you. You've been entrusted with a salvation. You have been entrusted with life. You've been entrusted with the Holy Spirit. You've been entrusted with a holy calling. Timothy, guard it with every fiber of your being. There should be nothing in our lives as believers that gets us more jacked up than an affront to the gospel. Nothing. Not even close. And all those secondary things that we can get jacked up over, if we don't see them in light of the gospel, we're guarding all the wrong things. And we're making those secondary things primary. If we wake up tomorrow morning and the stock market goes from 21000 to 2000 in one day and you lose every penny, because all your stocks or your mutual funds went down to zero. You know what Paul's really saying? Gospel. High calling. And holy calling. That's what he's saying. Now, really? See, serious? Yeah. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Paul gets shipwrecked. He sees his gospel. He's on the beach, starts a fire, a snake comes out and latches on his arm. He sees his gospel. He gets beaten and thrown in prison, he sees his gospel. Doesn't he? Right? You know why? Because everything he said here is all caught up with that. That's his point. Not that Paul's our hero. 
because it's all by grace and by his purpose, right? By God's purpose. Which brings us to verse 15. <coughs> you are aware, Timothy, that all who are in Asia turned away from me. See, now from 15 to 18, you know what we got? Let me just give you an introduction here. 15 to 18, here's what we have. Examples of people who came to the gospel. As well as people who are not. So starting in verse 15, you are aware of all who are in Asia. Uh, I'm sorry, you are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes, two people who I would never use for naming my children. All who are in Asia turned away from me. By the way, this is not a personality issue. At all. This is, they turned away from me because they're turning away from the gospel. They're ashamed of me because they're ashamed of the gospel. He's not talking about unsaved people. He's talking about people who claim to be saved. It is striking to me. It is breathtaking to me. When Paul writes late in his life these words, I want you to hear them again. You are aware that, the next word, what? All. All who are in Asia turned away from me. He's talking about all the church. All the be supposed believers turned away from me, Paul says. Why is that so striking? Because now we understand that this isn't just a, a slim possibility that people could turn away. It's rampant that people could be ashamed of the gospel. It's rampant. It's everywhere. So when Paul warns Timothy, when Paul warns you and I today as we read Timothy, the idea is it's everywhere. I suspect if you went to the churches in Asia and walked into these churches in Asia, you would expect that they would say, if you asked them, hey, a people of the Asian church, guys like Jesus? You know what they'd say? Yeah, we love Jesus. Hey, you guys in the first Asian church. Sounds kind of politically incorrect today, doesn't it, you know? <laughs> first Asian Baptist church. There we go. Hey, members of first Asian Baptist church, you love Jesus? Yeah, you bet. Are you ashamed of the gospel? No! Absolutely not. How are you treating Paul? You know, that guy, he just, painful to hear. Uncomfortable. I don't like it when he speaks. It's really uncomfortable. You know, we, we just, we're, we're, we're not really, you know, Paul people. We love Jesus, though. And we're not ashamed of the gospel. You know what Paul's saying? Yeah, they are. They absolutely are, because Paul brings some hard things to say, doesn't he? Doesn't he? I mean, a lot of things Paul says are pretty painful, pretty uncomfortable. 
pretty Christian incorrect, if I use that term. But for that church to reject Paul is to reject Christ, to reject the gospel. Now, today we look at it and say, yeah, but Steve, there's nobody in our church that rejects Paul. It's not just about Paul, but yes, there are people in our church that reject Paul. We don't like to hear it, we ignore it. Isn't that rejection? Isn't it? We know what he says, and yet we find week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, we're still not enthralled with Jesus. We're still not pursuing Jesus. We're, I'm not saying we definitely, I'm not making a declaration. I'm saying if that's the case. Isn't that a functional rejection of Paul? It's absolutely a functional rejection of Paul. It's kind of like your boss walks into your room at, at, at work, and your office says, hey, I need you to do so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, and, so and, so and, and then he walks out, and you listen to him. And then he walks out, and you don't do it. Is that not a functional rejection of Paul, of, of your boss? It absolutely is. There's no question. You can say all you want. I respect my boss. I listen to my boss. I, I do this and that for my boss. And this. You reject what he says. You don't follow through. It's a rejection of him. If we hear what Paul says and we don't follow, it's a functional rejection of what Paul says. Therefore, it's a functional rejection of Paul. And if Paul is a presenter of the truth, are we not, in effect, therefore, ashamed of the gospel? Have to be. Have to be. And it's not just Paul. It flows outwards from Paul, too. If anyone comes to you and preaches the truth to you, whether it's your pastor or another church member or somebody else, if the gospel, the truth is being proclaimed and you listen or you hear, but there's no change, is that not the same? It absolutely is. If we hear the truth and walk out and all that matters is lunch, is that not exactly the point? Especially if it happens every week. And the truth, not the man, the truth, if it doesn't have effect, is that not the same as verse 15? Turn away from. And turn away from the truth proclaimed, whether, whether it's me or somebody else or whatever it may be. If, if it's a turning away from, it's, it, that, that, that person who's preaching the truth, is that not? Turning away from the truth? The gospel? Yeah, absolutely it is. And it's prevalent, verse 15, all who are in Asia turned away from me. And then he just lists two people who must have been famous in that day. I don't know much about either one of them. Verse 16, on the other hand, may the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, or however you pronounce his name. For he, and listen to this description. For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Isn't that interesting? Why is this guy, we'll call him Oni, 
why is Oni not a fan of a king? And when he says he often refreshed me, it means he's going to him while he's in chains, which means he's being identified with him, which means he's taking the abuse too. He often refreshed me with the gospel because that's the idea, right? Not that he often refreshed me by bringing me water or bringing me food or came and told me the scores of the football game because I don't have TV because I'm in jail. He refreshed me with the gospel. And then listen to verse 17. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. No cost too high for the gospel. No cost too high to minister to the great apostle Paul in prison in Rome. He searched earnestly until he found me. He didn't give up until he found me because he knew more than anything else what I needed was the gospel. The gospel. Verse 18, may the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. May in that day, that is the resurrection day, may the Lord grant him mercy. And then he says to Timothy, and you know well, you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. He reminds Timothy, you remember. Why is he telling him all this? Because he's telling Timothy, this is what it looks like on the one hand to turn away. On the other hand, this is what it looks like to turn towards. And the call to Timothy is, don't be ashamed. In the midst of the difficulties, in the midst of the abuse, in the midst of the hatred, in the midst of the struggles, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the rejection and the mockery and everything else, don't be ashamed because the gospel is the power of God. And look how that gospel affected you. If it has. If you've forgotten, if you find yourself ashamed, the answer is not to beat yourself up. The answer is not to go out and try to do better. The answer is not to go out of here and go to lunch and then make sure and hogtie your waitress and not let her up until she repents and believes. And please don't do that. Don't think we have a fear of that happening. The answer is to remember who you were and remember how gloriously he saved you. And what that means in its fullest flower. To remember that you have a calling that was established before the foundation of the world and that it's a high, glorious, holy calling and it's related to the gospel with your skin on. And to remember how he has worked in you his purposes and what it means to have kingdom purposes and for you to remember that you are a recipient of God's grace and to, for you to remember that he will guard it to the day that which has been entrusted to you and to remember that it's worthy of guarding and to remember that his grace is glorious and that Jesus Christ is glorious.
And I just want to tell you, as we close it out today, you know what's going to happen? You're going to discover that God didn't give you a spirit of fear. You're going to discover that God gave you a spirit of power. That he gave you a spirit of love. Gospel power. You're going to discover that he gave you a, the spirit of gospel love. And you're going to discover that he gave you a power, the spirit of gospel self-control. And light will shine in darkness within the church. And light will shine in the darkness outside the church. And God will be glorified. And his kingdom will be on earth. Because that's what he's about. And you will find yourself rejoicing about things you've never rejoiced about before. Enthralled with things you were never enthralled with before. And you will find that the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's what you'll find. See, that's what God does. The answer is to repent and believe and remember and learn and taste and see and drink deeply and keep drinking, fellowship with, follow, cling to, remember. And your minds will be renewed and you'll be transformed by the power of the Spirit. And buckle your seatbelt because you'll discover the suffering you will experience, Christ is worthy of that. He is worthy. And you'll be enthralled even more with Jesus. And you'll find yourself singing hymns in prison. And you'll find gospel permeating your entire life. Let's pray. Lord, we need you. Because our natural bent is to fear. <coughs> And we find too often that we have the spirit of fear, but we know by your word that that is not authored by you. That is authored by the evil one. And so we ask you, Lord, to renew our minds with the truth. Change us. So that we will recognize our salvation the ramifications, the beauty of our salvation, so that we will recognize and understand the high and holy calling that you have on, placed on us from before the foundation of the world for your purpose and your grace. Help us to recognize that that high and holy calling by very nature permeating throughout it, its entire thing is gospel. It is not merely helps or hospitality or speaking or whatever it may be. It is gospel. We need you. We need you every hour. We need your gospel always. We need your grace. We need your mercy. May you be merciful to us, we ask you. And glorify yourself in our church in each one of our lives personally. Change us so that we will have the spirit of power and love and self-control and that you will be glorified. 